Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of Comfortable Discomfort. On today's episode, we will be discussing white privilege, how it often can propel ignorance, and how, when it is acknowledged, it can be used for good. It is very important to me that this podcast offers different perspectives. As such, I will be joined by two special guests who I will be introducing in just one moment. joined by high school activists Zana Tilo and Ella Haig. Thank you for having us. We're super excited. Yeah, so I'm really excited to have you guys on here as well. Um, as you guys know, we're going to be talking about white privilege. And when I talk about topics like this, I really just like to define what I'm talking about. So y'all can do it with me. I'm just going to pull up you know, I'm just going to do a quick Google search and pull up a um, definition of white privilege. Just because, you know, we got to gotta know what we're talking about. Y'all see what I'm saying? Okay. Okay. So white privilege refers to the societal societal privilege that benefits white people over non-white people in some societies particularly if they are otherwise under the same social, political, or economic circumstances. So that's the definition. Have you guys ever, um, like, read the definition and just kind of broken it down and whatnot? Um, Yes, actually, earlier today, I was doing some of my um, research. And it's, I think it's important, especially as a white person, to understand the differences between like white privilege and white fragility and things like that. And so it's important to stay educated about it. And so, yes, I have done um, a little bit of research and just general definitions, but also just checking myself and my experiences and how I've benefited from white privilege as a person. Yeah, and I think that's something, um, Ella, that I really like that you mentioned is that there is a difference between white privilege and white fragility. Um, I would say, in my opinion, I think white privilege comes, I think white fragility comes out of white privilege. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. So that's kind of how I see it. And you also mentioned that you, you've you realized your own privilege mm-hmm. in the fact that you've, like, looked up the definitions and done things like that. So can you give, like, an example of maybe one moment where you were like, well, like, this is my privilege, Um, I think it's just a general recognition in myself that I will never be demonized or suffer solely based on the color of my skin. And um, it's interesting because I grew up in a household where uh, human rights were just, they weren't controversial. It was, you know, gay people deserve rights and people of color deserve rights and women deserve rights. And that was just a generally accepted fact. Um, but that being said, I went to a middle school where there was there was not a single black person in my class, I think probably from kindergarten to eighth grade the entire time. And so I was never cognizant of how I was benefiting from white privilege in that way. Um, and so I forget what the question even was. But yeah, it's no, it's definitely important for me to constantly check myself and have an understanding of why white privilege exists and how I benefit from it. And just see it in um, patterns and circumstances in my own life. Um, so it's kind of an everyday thing, just acknowledging that and actively working to combat um, racism 
as a practice. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think that's also another thing to know is that a lot of times I think it's very easy to not recognize um, white privilege because you don't have, you're, you're not in scenarios where you're forced to recognize it. For example, like you said, you went to a middle school where, you know, you never had a single black person in your class. And I feel like if you were not in a household where it was just a general thing that like, you know, people of color matter, um, you know, human rights are just a general thing that you guys care about. Um, I feel like it would have been a little bit harder to recognize where your white privilege exists. Definitely. I don't know if you, yeah. I'm so sorry. And I feel like a lot of people, they don't want to recognize that white privilege because they think that if they do, they're seen as racist when it's not that. Obviously, white privilege is this because we have such an insane system of racism embedded into our culture. But like recognizing it actually helps aid in the, the in the disassembling of racism. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it's also that's um, kind of going back to what I said about my middle school and how my household, how I was raised. I think that's definitely where um, racism is perpetuated in um, white children when they learn that when they go to a predominantly white school and then they're not taught at home that all people matter and that black people especially matter. And, um, and then it just perpetuates that cycle of racism. And then you wind up with racist teenagers and racist adults who are not doing anything to actively combat racism in this country. And so it's, I'm very fortunate to have had um, a mother who's taught me that my privilege is, is not something to take for granted, but it's also something that I need to help actively combat in my day-to-day life um racism as a whole and yeah no for sure and I think also in a way in my opinion like Zana just said white privilege just because you recognize you have white privilege it doesn't mean that you're racist in a way I think not recognizing it and not using it in like a good way and just not recognizing it is racist because you're failing to recognize how you benefit more than people of color more than people of color in society and like just like in, a, in my opinion it's almost like well no I'm not like that you know what I mean mm-hmm. I don't know if yeah. that makes sense yeah but... for sure and I've often and... seen also as a theme I'm so sorry yeah totally to speak. keep going <laughs> okay I've also seen as a theme um even in acknowledging white privilege white people will do that to escape a difficult conversation which was um this is a little bit of a tangent, but which was predominant in, in the 90s when a feminist movement called the Riot Girls was um, surfacing. It's also, you know, it's predominant in a lot of feminist movements, but specifically yeah. this one where white people would acknowledge the fact that they have privilege and then they would do nothing about it just to escape the fact that they um, they had to, it, it's their duty to actively combat racism, but as long as they um, in their minds, as long as they acknowledge that they had white privilege, they didn't have to do anything beyond that. And I think that's also a problem in this day and age with, I, I've even seen like in my own life and with people I'm close to where they acknowledge the fact that they have privilege, but they don't do anything about it. And that is just as harmful as I think not acknowledging privilege. Yeah. yeah and they definitely like play into it. Even on going off that, like I feel like in the nineties, eighties, all that, there was that big thing for like, oh, well, all one human race, like, I don't see color like yes obviously we are all human but like there's 
definitely like if you aren't seeing color you aren't seeing the full picture because there are all a lot of things that are ha- that happen in this country and even in the world that be- are be- based off that and that but that movement or that saying people have said so much and it causes like white fragility too where I know Mary I know you like definitions so I actually have the definition of white fragility thank and you just like, <laughs> the discomfort and defensiveness on the part of a white person when confronted by information about racial inequality and injustice so they get so used to like even if they recognize the white privilege they still can be victim like can still suffer from white fragility because they're just like oh yeah I have privilege but then they're just like but I don't want to talk about race anymore you know and like right. you're still adding to the problem yeah exactly because mm-hmm. I think I think it would be different if we weren't a country that has racism embedded in its systems and just in the way things go about throughout in society. I think it would be different to say, oh, I don't see color or this, this, that, that. But because of the fact that we have we have created a country that um, that oppresses people of color and things like that. We've created systems that do that, and our country is built on that foundation with even going back to slavery and things like that. So I just, in my opinion, I don't understand why you could say you don't see color when, you know, um, even at the beginning of time with something like slavery, people were like um, calling Black people gorillas and just like that whole idea of relating Black people to something that they they aren't necessarily not seeing them as human. When you do things like that, you invalidate the fact that we are all one human race. Exactly. Exactly. I think especially with white people, when they say, I don't see color, it's just, it's totally abandoning the fact. It's saying, I don't see your struggle. I don't see what you go through. I don't see your pain. And that's just completely unacceptable. Saying I don't see color is not a helpful contribution to the conversation that is racism. And so and it's especially going back to the white fragility thing, the oppressors in any situation often get very angry when their power is threatened in any way. And to an oppressor, oftentimes equality equals less power for them. And it becomes a selfish thing where, well, I'm not racist, so I don't have to deal with it anymore. But saying that in and of itself perpetuates racism. And so especially, you know, as a white person and, and knowing plenty of white people myself, it's just entering into that difficult conversation of as a white person my existence perpetuates racism but I can do everything in my power to combat that and say you know in saying that I don't see color or saying why can't we all just love each other it just completely invalidates the pain and struggle that people of color go through in this country because it's 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 valid and it's real and it's so easy for white people to ignore it nowadays which is just unacceptable yeah and and that really just kind of brings me to the idea that a lot of people when they hear white privilege kind of going back even to white fragility they feel upset because they feel like when you call them privilege you're calling them racist you know we mentioned that before but a lot of people also feel that you know it 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 denies the them the idea that they've struggled and that they don't have their own personal struggles and i think that it's important to note that white privilege isn't suggesting that white people have never struggled in my opinion it's saying that you know it's not that like for example you know ella and i are up for the same job you know like ella works hard to get to this point i'm not saying that she didn't work hard i'm just saying that 
in some way she has a built-in advantage because of the color of her skin and that's something that it goes beyond just things like poverty and things like that it's not it's not saying that white people have never struggled it's saying that you know you have a built-in advantage and even like stuff like that where the the white person will be hired for a job that even continues the cycle of poverty that um that is prevalent in a lot of minority communities and black communities is because even when they are qualified they are chose they are overlooked which is a pushes them to get like jobs that like they are are way more like the jobs that they're overqualified for and they don't make as much money which just like, continues that cycle and like even like the idea some people think like oh white privilege doesn't exist obviously we all know in america the system of slavery was for 400 years and it's not even just america like even african countries of um imperial imperialism and colonization it's so intense um that just doesn't just go away like this that just doesn't just disappear once you sign a couple amendments like if something has happened for 400 years it's pretty hard to get rid of that stigma especially cuz it was so it's it was so prevalent and it still is prevalent and just like in little forms if a system is based off something it's hard to if you build a house on a foundation it's hard to just pull out that foundation you're going to have to tear the whole thing down so that's why it's there is white privilege because it literally was how the country was built off of. Exactly. Yeah. And I often like, I hear the back to the white fragility thing hear white people get so angry when they're called out for privilege by saying, um, you know, what Mary was referencing with, well, I've struggled. My life has been hard and, and I'm a white person that that mindset is just completely destructive because acknowledging your privilege is not suffering. It is not suffering. And more white people need to get that into their minds. It doesn't mean you haven't had a hard life. It doesn't mean that you've suffered in other ways, but you will never be a victim as a result of your skin. And that is just, that's just a basic fact. And Zana, what you were saying, especially with the whole, if you build a house on a foundation that is not adequate to support the house, you have to tear the whole thing down. That's exactly what we have to do with this country. It's not about, um, well, those, you know, obviously all police officers who commit murder should be punished accordingly. But it's not just that. It's we have to rework the entire system because it's working as it was designed. The entire country was built on racism and it is working, you know, how it was supposed to work. But, to you know, to fix it, we have to tear down the systems that are so, so um, comfortable to us, especially, you know, as a white person that that benefit us in those ways and, and actively rebuild them so that everybody is equal. And that could take that could take a really long time. But it starts, you know, it starts with us and it starts with with um, generation, generational change in, you know, if I were to ever have kids teaching my kids that racism is not okay. And, you know, in teaching my peers and even parents and having those difficult conversations, that's where it starts. And, you know, if we don't, as if I, as a white person don't have those conversations, I am mm-hmm. actively contributing to, to the perpetuation of racism, which is just, you know, not okay. <laughs> yeah. It, and not even just like police brutality in terms of like the prison industrial complex redlining and housing mm-hmm. communities education like all oh high, higher education too like that those whole systems are so insane and even talking about kids too like obviously i uh, not obviously because you guys are just hearing my voice but i'm a black woman and no matter who i end up having kids with like they will at least be half black so in in, in america with that like with that history, like, when people see my kids, they're gonna be like, oh, they're black, like, automatically. 
So that type of stuff scares me. It's like, oh, I don't want them to have to like to lower themselves or to to be complacent in order to let other people be comfortable and let other people like defend their white fragility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's something else important to know. And that's like basically the whole reason that I wanted to create this podcast is that I think we really, as as an American society, we need to work to, to, you know, be better at having these difficult conversations so that we can dismantle the reason that we need to even have these conversations. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, I think a lot of times, and that's another thing I also wanted to mention, is that a lot of times, because of the the privilege that, in my opinion, white people often, um, well, all white people possess, um, I feel like oftentimes it's, it's easy for them to also propel ignorance because, um, you know, it's easy to, you know, just be living in your own bubble and not see how somebody else is affected by uh, their color of skin because you have a built-in advantage. And I think um, Ella really touched on that and how, you know, she's working to educate herself, acknowledge it, have difficult conversations with the people she's around and just, you know, continue to be an advocate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, it's also like, nobody's perfect. I'm inevitably going to make a mistake one day in regards to my white privilege and things like that. And it's just being able to take constructive criticism and learn. It's not, you know, it's not people of color's job to educate me as a white person, but it is my job to learn. And so, you know, educating myself in those regards is just an incredibly important thing. And, and and white people can choose not to have those conversations. Ignorance is a privilege. My life, I could choose to never think about racism again, and I would never be affected by it. It'd be incredibly selfish of me, but I could do it. And that is a privilege. And that's unacceptable, but a lot of white people do it. And so you can live your life that that way. And it's just, but it's, de- it's denying the the equality that, that so many people preach and and everybody deserves equality and so if you are a white person that doesn't acknowledge your privilege you know you can live that way but then it becomes my job as a white person who chooses to acknowledge my privilege and wants to actively dispel racism to educate people like that and maybe make them think outside of the box yeah and I agree with that completely and um I really appreciate the work that you're doing and just I think you know, it honestly, in my opinion, it brings tears to my eyes to see, like, just the outrage that, you know, people around me have had in regards to the death of George Floyd, mm-hmm. um, especially because before this, you know, I, it was it was hard to really notice who actually um, supported Black Lives Matter or things like that. But, like, now, because of this outrage, you really see the people coming out and saying things, and it just really, it really warms my heart, and, you know... It, it, it also kind of disheartens me when I see people not able to, you know, do like what Ella is doing, you know, educate herself, you know, learn, not expect black people or people of color to teach her about, you know, these things, but educate herself on her own and, you know, just continue to do what she's doing. And it's disheartening to see people that are unable to recognize their privilege and unable to use it in a way that's beneficial. Right. Yeah, definitely. And I think one example, you know, you know, me and my Red Table Talk, I love me some Red Table Talk. Um, 
I was watching the Red Table Talk um, on white privilege with Chelsea Handler. And I don't know if any of you uh, both have watched the um, Chelsea Handler documentary. Um, But she basically, you know, she does this documentary where she just basically just goes around and is just like asking people about, you know, their white privilege and just things like that. Like basically she's just trying to, you know, educate herself and also see what other people are, what other people, how other people feel about it. And, you know, she kind of talks about that on the Red Table Talk. But one thing she talks about is that when she was a teenager, she was dating a black man and, you know, they did their thing and whatnot. And there were times when, you know, they both, you know, they both did weed, they both drank underage, they both did these things. And there was times when, you know, her black boyfriend would get pulled over and, you know, sent to jail and these things. But she, you know, she would get off with like just a little bit of a, you know, you know, don't do that again or, you know, things Mm -hmm. like that. And those are kind of examples of how you have, how white people have this built-in advantage to um, get out of things that not every person of color would be able to get out of. Right. Yeah. And that, that actually reminds me of, I'm sure, well, I'm well, maybe not. But um, on the first season of Queer Eye, uh, during one of the episodes, they had a police officer um, pull over the five of them, five of, I, I don't know what, the queer bunch or something. I don't know what they're called. Anyways, they had them pull them over. And Karamo, who is the only black man on the show, he was driving. And it was like this whole joke. And I was thinking about how, you know, there are these people watching this at home laughing about how Karamo got pulled over by a police officer and the police officer asked him to step out of the vehicle. And it was really frightening for him. But there are viewers who are looking at it and they're laughing because supposedly it's funny. And it's just that kind of stuff that's normalized where it's that obvious privilege. But Karamo himself, he was frightened and almost quit the show because of it. But there's, you know, people at home, this is totally ineloquently worded, but there's people at home watching and laughing. And that's just, it's just so normalized in our society, this this privilege that white people have that isn't acknowledged and it's even in like in shows and on talk shows and things like that and it's just I don't know it's kind of frightening to see how easily it's dismissed situations like that and so I don't know it's everywhere I think you bring up an extremely good point and um, I don't know if Zana if you have anything to add to that yeah, um, I was saying, um, well, in terms of, like, white privilege, especially with just talking about, in terms of you talking about get police and getting pulled over, it's, like, what I've noticed is, like, um, when something happens with a criminal that happens to be white, you always see people, like, just, like, oh, like, obviously, uh, there's, like, oh, wow, you know? But then, if it's a black criminal, well, then not even a criminal, but, like, just how George Floyd passed away, and there were still so many people who are just trying to make like, an excuse for it. And they just said, like, oh, well, he had a criminal past. And, like, trying to basically negate the murder. And they're just, like, that in itself is even an example of white privilege. Because it's, like, that has to be, like, the, it's just, like, almost like you have to be in the wrong. Like, as a black person, like, oh, there's no way you were doing everything right. Like, it's almost like people think, like, by nature, you aren't a good guy. And that also is presented, like, in media. Like, you see that a lot of times. At least, like, they're always, the criminal is always a black person. Like, those older movies, 
and is also that also perpetuates that stereotype. And having underrepresentation is a big example of um, like white privilege. How when you watch TV, like if you open up any show, most likely the main characters are going to be white. And even if there is a black person, how many times is it just a, the black friend who's supporting the white main character? Mm-hmm. Like it does not just a standalone yeah. ca- black character. Or if there is two, like a black girl, a black guy, because you know, they usually just do like a straight couple because they are also mm-hmm. aren't, they don't represent um, LGBT communities, but it'll always be like the black girl and the black guy are together too. Like yeah. they, that's also like that underrepresentation. Right. And I think that's something also is that like, I would, w- I would hope that shows would be able to use the platform they have to educate people because for example something a show like Grey's Anatomy I really applaud that show because the things that I've learned from that show the things that have been represented in that show is in my opinion something that no other show has ever done for example um this was kind of in their spin-off um their spin-off uh show Station 19 but you know they show one of the characters getting pulled over by a police officer and him trying to tell the police officer, you know, he's a firefighter, he's a firefighter. And then the police officer is just like, no, 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 I'm not going to listen to you. And he says, step out of the car and he pushes him onto the ground and, you know, things like that, like things that you would probably never see a police officer do to a white person or, or, you know, just things like just in general, you know, you shouldn't do that to anybody, especially if they've, the, the thing they've done is just speeding. So I think that a show like that, they do a very good job of educating, not just on things like police brutality, but things like, um, you know, sexual violence and just things like that. And I think I would hope that more shows would start to use their platform to educate and not do things like what Queer Eye did. I've never seen that show, but like that to me is just like, you know, when you make things like that a joke, you start to you start to dismantle like the platform it's built on. You know what I mean? Like you start to make it seem like it's not that big of a deal when it's something that people of color deal with every day. Exactly. Yeah. I saw this really um, cool thing. I mean, this one quote about white privilege, just like white privilege is being surprised about everything happening right now. Because like, if you're a black person or other person of color, like you aren't, because you already have experienced a lot of these little, like you've ex- seen, this type of violence and all that probably you known someone who's been quote unquote like, like mishandled or I don't know another word to describe it <laughs> without you know and then um like you know you have a personal anecdote to those experiences it's so, like white privilege is being surprised and being like horrified by everything happening right yeah yeah, yeah. and especially with underrepresentation in the media that's like incredible representation is incredibly important and I, you know, this is privilege. I, as a white person, have never gone onto Netflix or never walked into a room and been uncomfortable because of my skin color. And that's just unacceptable. And I, you know, I do theater. And so it's oftentimes, this even goes back to the poverty thing and, and accessibility to resources. But in theater, things are so, they're, they're so costly and it's so inaccessible. And if there's already, um, um, you know, a theme of poverty within black communities, then it's going to be extraordinarily difficult for them to you know gain the same privileges as white people in the arts and in in the media and things like that and um yeah, especially that's a really good point, yeah. yeah I think that's that's all I no, say especially that, with but... representation like I feel like that could go on and on because 
feel like people think it's not a big deal because like oh well not a lot of, there's not a lot of black people in the United States or but like that matters so much especially to little kids like people mm-hmm. just absorb everything and especially because the media is what is considered beautiful so if you're not seeing someone that looks like you in the media you're gonna see yourself as ugly instinctively like I, this is a really cool quote I watch slam poetry all the time and this one quote that always sticks with me is like being a black girl in America means you're the first and last person to love yourself. And this talks about because, like, the media isn't saying that you're pretty. So you have to build your own confidence. But at the same time, do you really even believe yourself? So it's just, like, that's why, like, why, yeah, white privilege is having that ability to, like, see someone who looks like you and be like, I can't grow up and be that. While if you're a black person, a lot of times they're like, maybe I can be the exception and be successful. Yeah. And I think that also just like in all of this, I think it's important to know because, you know, I am working through a tree and this is one of the branches, how this goes back to white supremacy, you know, if white people, you know, feel superior than the people of all other races, this is these are the type of things that come out where, where you have a built in advantage because in in society, your skin color is seen as superior to all other skin colors. Right. Yeah. And I can't even imagine like that extra layer of, of fight in a sense, because even as like a woman in America, you experience the media in a way where body image is an issue and, and beauty is an issue. And I, but I personally don't ever have to worry about my skin color because I'm a white person. And that's just another added layer and it makes things incredibly difficult. And it's just another result of of the foundations on which this country was built. It's everything caters to white people and it has to change because it's just, it's unacceptable and it's, it's horrifying and it's not, it's not surprising, but it's really, it's sad to acknowledge that. Like, I I can't even, I can't even imagine having to fight that battle on top of everything that, that people have to experience as, as women or as part of the LGBTQ community. And it's just, I don't know. It's really um, interesting to think about it in layers like that. For sure. How it, yeah. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> How it directly relates to white supremacy, too, is that, well, obviously, white supremacy is, like, white people are above all, basically. So, and, like, having, so when you see, like, you know, you walk into your room, most likely, as, like, a black person, you might be the only other black person in the room, especially us living in Colorado, while, like, a white person, there's multiple other white people. So, like, just instinctively, if you're thinking, oh, there's more people of me, like, I automatically feel more comfortable, like, I can take more risk and do all these things. Like, that's a privilege. And that goes into your supremacy because there's more of you. Versus, like, a black person, there's less of you in the room. Or less of you in America just in general. So you're thinking, am I not good enough? Like, there's not even enough of us. And also, like, the system is continuously killing us. We, like, can't even survive. So it almost feels like, yeah, like, of course, like, not only that privilege is making like it it adds to white supremacy it's allowing people white people to have a longer life expectancy which is actually true and just adds to that right yeah and especially with you know history is there's a there's a quote that's like history is written by the winners which is true and winners is a gross word the you know but um and it's like if if there are white people making the laws and and white people don't institute change or use their privilege to amplify um, the voices of people of color, then no real change is going to come. And so, you know, especially as a white person, it's not even, I can't tell the story for you. You know, I can't tell the story of racism for you. I have to just use my privilege to amplify the voices that can tell the story. 
And if, yeah, if that sure. doesn't happen, then change can't come. Yeah. And I think you kind of bring, um, bring about a good point that I really wanted to make is that I think it's important for allies to be aware of their privilege and use it to advocate because, you know, obviously, in my opinion, I don't know how y'all feel about this, but it's easier to hear it from another black sister or brother than it is to hear from a white brother or sister. That's just how I see it. I don't know if everybody feels that way, but I feel like it's just easier to hear things from people that you relate to on -hmm. a broader sense. Um, especially just when it comes to racism, it's easier for me to hear it from a black person than it is to hear from a white person. I think, um, it's almost in a slight disagreement. Um, I think like a lot, a lot of white people though, they're just like, they have this mindset like, oh my gosh, like, you know, some people have that mindset where they think that black people are just being sensitive and it's like, oh, like, no. But then when they actually do get called out by another white person, they're like, wait, they're also white and they see it. Maybe there's something about me that I need to change. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a good point. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, one thing also that I was kind of thinking about earlier is just like the idea, even Band-Aids, bro, like Band-Aids for a while there, there was only Band-Aids that like, match the skin color of you know a white person and like I don't know for me it's a little more obvious when I put on a band-aid than if you know my white classmate puts on a band-aid so I think it's crazy how even things like that like and that's why I said before where it's easy when you're living in your own bubble of privilege it's easy not to see how other people are struggling because you don't have to put on a band-aid that doesn't match your skin tone. Right. Yeah. And it's built into everything, even especially in the dance community with ballet slippers and, 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 and dance shoes. It's just, you don't even, you don't even think about it as, I mean, as a white person, you don't even think about it. And then you realize that, Hey, there are only pink ballet slippers. What does that say about our society? Things like that. It's just, how do you even begin to dismantle the system when every single thing is catering to the white supremacist ideal. And I think it's just beginning these conversations like that. And also um, earlier I heard this quote, my mom really likes this author, Glennon Doyle. And she was on live, she was talking and she said that um, saying things like, why can't we all just love each other? And why can't we all just get along is trying to get to the resurrection before the crucifixion, which I thought was a pretty um, interesting metaphor for how this is how this is playing out because unfortunately these horrific displays of violence and and the death of so many beloved people is what it took for white people especially to wake up and say this is a problem we need to do something about this and now i think honestly this movement is gaining traction and i really hope that real change comes comes out of this especially with more white people waking up and saying how can i help i'm listening i'm here for you things like that Going yeah. back to what Mary said too. Yeah, I, I was know. a yeah. Well, but going back to what Mary said too though, I do think it is good though if a black person does like say like, "Hey, have you thought about this?" cuz I do think mm-hmm. a lot of people do avoid the conversation like even if they deny it and like a white person then later calls them out, but like that initial like, "Hey, have you thought about this?" it does like kind of pressure someone to actually like step outside of themselves because especially if there's a white person talking to a black person, like, it's a definitely a different worldly 
perspective that they can think about when asked that question. Definitely. Yeah, no, for sure. And I don't know if anybody has, um, I don't have it saved, sadly. Um, The things that have come out, like the things that have changed recently just because of the protests and just, you know, just because of the outrage outrage in general, if anybody has um, that article. So we can just kind of like say like some things that have changed and how we can keep going. And um, I am not. Um, I do know one uh, in, in Kentucky, they banned the use of no knock warrants because of Breonna Taylor. That's really good. Yeah, because it's just so sad. Like, honestly, like, I'm not going to lie before this, you know, my viewers know before this, I really was kind of more like in the shadows, you know, not really like, obviously, I recognize that I am oppressed, but not really like telling other people about it and just, you know, kind of just living in the shadows. And but when George Floyd happened, I was just like, well, like enough is enough, like we really need to change. Like, how is it possible that somebody literally just had, you know, allegedly used a fake counterfeit uh, or a counterfeit $20 bill and was murdered because of it? Like, how is it possible that I live in a country where this type of thing happens? And I think even just going back to um, Ella's point is just that, you know, I think like she's saying, like, this movement is gaining a lot of traction and things like that, and we can only hope that people will continue to speak up, people will continue to recognize that this isn't just a trend. This is something that Black people go through every day, every moment, basically, you know, unless, you know, maybe you can say when you're among your Black brothers and sisters, you don't necessarily feel these things, but I feel like even then, it's hard to it's hard for me to get together with my black girlfriends and just talk about just things that normal teenagers would talk about because like, that's not necessarily the the life that we're living. We're living more of a life where we're like, you know, more aware of the things going on, like the murder of George Floyd or the murder of uh, Breonna Taylor and things like yeah, that. Yeah, definitely. And I think that even that simple thing where it's robbing you of experiencing, um, normal teenage conversations and activities and things like that is just a you know terrible side effect of racism as a whole and um also going back to how we were talking about positive change coming from the movement there has been positive change coming from the protests and even um the destruction of property and things like that change comes when when you live in a country where property means more than human life change will come and so positive change has come in in the last few days and a few weeks but I've, in additionally with white with white privilege as a theme, I've seen a lot of white people saying, "Well, Martin Luther King didn't want this. He wanted peace, and he wanted things like that." And they only name drop Dr. King when it benefits them, so they don't have to have difficult conversations. And as we can see, um, change comes. Change comes when when people do something about it. And I don't know. I think it's really it's it's inspiring, and it also gives gives hope that maybe one day things will change in a significant way for the better yeah, yeah no for sure you know um I honestly in my opinion you know you can only do so much and 
you can only, you know, try to convince people so much that your life matters and things like that. So I also think that to a certain point, it also it it also is up to white people to um, even just talking about privilege to recognize their own privilege and just be like, well, yeah, like their life matters or like, well, yeah, what they're saying. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, maybe I should support this. And I think that our country is definitely in a time of changing and hopefully, you know, hopefully even 10 years from now, you know, everything might not be the way that we want it to be, but hopefully it will be, it will be even closer to what we want it to be. And you need, yeah, you need white people as allies though, especially because they do have that privilege. So like it almost like their voice is more likely to be heard and not to be seen as like being quote unquote dramatic, especially when you look at voter disenfranchisement how it mostly um, affects black and Latino communities because of the prison industrial complex. Like it's so important to have white allies. Yeah, no, for sure. And that's why I would like to thank you, Ella, for being such an amazing ally. And, you know, unless there's anything else you guys would like to talk about, I feel like we've ended in a good place, you know? Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for having me again. I just, it's important for me to, you know, help and listen and yeah no for sure understand so thank you so much and zona i'd like to thank you for being my black sister <laughs> out here you know um helping me see things the see things in a different light because again that's another reason why i think it's very important to have guest speakers on here is because i can only see things in so many lights and we all see things differently and we all have we all have different eyes i don't know if that makes sense but we all have different eyes our perceptions are different Um, So that's why I love having guest speakers on and I would just like to thank you both. Okay, so first off, I just want to apologize for not releasing this episode earlier in the day, but y'all know today was Juneteenth and I was celebrating with my girls. But you can listen to this episode anytime. I don't expect everybody to listen to it when it drops anyways. But um, while on that subject, I just want to make sure to thank each and every one of you guys for continuing to listen, continuing to support my dream. Um, We're hoping to get this as big as possible. And I also want to give a big shout out to my two special guests, Ella and Zana. Thank you so much for your different perspective and for helping me delve into something that isn't often delved into. Y'all know that's what I'm all about. And next week, we're going to be talking about implicit bias. More details to come on the At Comfortable Discomfort podcast Instagram. Make sure to follow that. And I will see you guys next week. Also, um, it just came to my attention that y'all can send in um, voice messages. So I'll definitely put that link um, in the in the insta story for the podcast so y'all can send in voice messages i don't know how it works but we'll try it out and thank you so much y'all see you next week Mwah.